0: Welcome to Songcraft, Spotlight on Songwriters, a bi-weekly podcast featuring in-depth conversations with and about the creators of lyrics and music that stand the test of time. I'm Scott B. Omar, And I'm Paul Duncan. Songcraft is part of the American Songwriter Podcast Network, which can be found at americansongwriter.com. To make sure you don't miss an episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our show via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: You can also keep up with us on social media by searching for one word, Songcraft Show, or visit us at songcraftshow.com.
0: Our guest on this episode of Songcraft is Pooh Bear, who is known for his extensive collaborations with Justin Bieber, including the multi-platinum hits Where Are You Now?, What Do You Mean?, and Despacito Remix, as well as for hits such as Caught Up by Usher, I Can Transform You by Chris Brown, and 10,000 Hours by Dan and Shay. He'll join us in a moment to chat about his multi-platinum career as a behind-the-scenes writer and his recent work as an artist. Part one.
1: Scott, I feel like I need to start today's episode with an apology. Uh,
0: I think you need to start most episodes with an apology. <laughs> I need to complete but, most well, episodes to finish them with an apology. <laughs> um,
1: I, uh, I wasn't there for this episode with Pooh Bear. And, you weren't there for me, man. Um, yeah, so I apologize to you. Mm-hmm. I apologize to Pooh Bear. Yeah. I apologize uh, to my mom and dad who raised me to be better than that. Yeah. yeah. Um. And but I will say that I listened to it. And it's a compelling, beautiful episode, even in my absence. So, kudos <laughs> to you for soldiering on without me.
0: I made it happen, man. I I walked through that that valley of the shadow of Paullessness, <laughs> yeah. and I I made it happen.
1: Um, and I got there was one part in particular that I listened to, and I was like, man, that that's just really cool. And you know, Pooh Bear is known for working with a host of successful pop artists. One of the most prominent being Justin Bieber, right? And the way they met. It was really interesting to me because it it was just kind of random.
0: Yeah, I met this guy in Vegas. I was hanging out and somebody introduced me to him. And now we're like, you have this huge collaborative uh, relationship. Same
1: old story, (laughs) the way it always happens, you know.
0: Yeah, I I, uh, have had my fair share of uh, encounters with musicians and celebrities over the years that are kind of random. I will say that none of them have ever resulted in uh, in a collaborative relationship.
1: No, for for me, neither. Uh, Me, neither. Is that how I'm supposed to say that? I think so. For me, neither. Um, <laughs> yeah, we've talked about a few of these. Uh, and I know, you know, from your time at BMG, you know, the elevator's always got somebody in it.
0: Yeah, I've had some elevator rides with like, uh, you know, Kenny Loggins and and Common and I once rode the elevator together. I got a little selfie with him at the end of it. That's you know? nice. Yeah, yeah. So. I had
1: a brief elevator ride with uh, Jermaine Jackson. Uh, <laughs> nice. Silent. Excellent. both of us the whole time
0: well, the most silent elevator ride i ever had uh was um and there's that famous building on sunset boulevard that has all the music companies and stuff in it mm. i was there um meeting somebody up in the uh, up near the top so it was a long ride down no right. one was in the elevator but me and ice cube Ooh. and he but that did, was chilly he <laughs> he did not well, he did not uh, break eye contact with me. But what he was telling Wait, me, he
1: did not break. He did not make eye contact or break. Like break. he kept looking at he you. He kept the whole looking time. at me.
0: Really? He was looking at me with a look that said, "Don't talk to me." <laughs> and you know, I don't know what I would have said if I'd be like held out my hand, and be like, "Was today a good day?" You know, oh, like geez. yeah, I, I, no. I hadn't, I had nothing. You yeah. know, so I wasn't gonna say anything. I was just gonna be like, "I'm gonna play this cool." That's Ice Cube. I'm gonna let him do his thing, but definitely he looks like he's going to punch me in the mouth if I talk to him. So I'm just going to respect. He, he's drawing some boundaries here. I actually had a brief
1: encounter with Ice Cube as well. Uh, I was playing in a, a basketball league that was an entertainment league, so everybody that was part of it was either a musician or actor or somebody. Um, but I, Ice Cube kind of stands out in a crowd right. kind of for that reason, just his that, that, yeah. demeanor. Yeah. And uh, I was uh, I was in the game. I was taking the ball out, and he was sitting kind of in the bleachers, and he was like, hey, what's the score? And I immediately forgot the score and just made something up. Right. I think like, it's 40 to B. I, I, didn't, you know, I didn't know what to say the score was. Um, but yeah, he, he's a guy that can kind of intimidate you a little bit. It, you know what's funny about that? There are certain people that you meet, and if their public persona is one of you know toughness or intimidation, right. you kind of want that from them when you meet them. You know, yeah. You, 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 if you met Ice Cube in the elevator and he's like, Hey, young fella. Right. <laughs> Where are you headed? You might have been like, "Yeah, this is not fitting." Hey man. there, young man. You show yeah. some promise. Yeah, totally. yeah. <laughs> here's a greenback dollar. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, I met Dick Butkus, um, right. who you know people might know from his former NFL days, and then he started the XFL league, which didn't really go anywhere. But Dick Butkus was a famous tough guy, right. and it, it even went on to act in movies as a as a tough guy. Uh, and I saw him in, in the airport. And I walked up to him and I just said, Mr. Buckus, I'd like to shake your hand. <laughs> <laughs> and he looked at me for a long, like four to five seconds with his arms folded. Right. And then just kind of begrudgingly held out one of his hands without saying a word. Right. And just crushed my hand <laughs> with a massive grip and then kind of like looked away. And that was it. Yeah. It was actually quite rude. <laughs> but... it. It's kind of what I want. It's from what the you guy wanted? Like that. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah,
0: you did not want to be like, well, bring it in for a hug, exactly. little buddy. Exactly.
1: <laughs> I've heard this, yeah. Yeah, like the skipper. Yeah, I've heard <laughs> the same thing about Gene Simmons. That you meet yeah. Gene Simmons, he's just just kind of a yeah. glowering.
0: Yeah, it's what you wanted to be. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I, I, I uh, the the funny elevator story that sticks in my mind is one day at BMG, I got in the elevator. There was a woman in the elevator riding down with me. We did not exchange any words, but I thought. I don't know who she is. She may be here to have a meeting and and see about getting a record deal, but I can tell she's got the it factor. She's got mm. that that X factor thing that that it takes to be a celebrity that you can't quite define, but it's just sort of a presence and a magic. And I thought, I bet we're gonna hear from that woman someday. And then later that afternoon, someone's like, "Did you see uh, Kelly Rowland was here earlier today?" And I started <laughs> rewinding, and I'm like. Oh, Kelly Rowland from Destiny's Child, who already is massively successful and famous. Yes, I did know that she was here today, and uh, I'm an idiot for not What a
1: great judge of undiscovered talent you are.
0: (laughs) When it comes to someone who's already famous, I can spot them, you know, this one's got the magic.
1: That's like when I saw Dick Buckus, I was like, that guy's big. (laughs) I bet he could play ball.
0: Right, exactly. (laughs) So, uh, needless to say, given that track record, I don't think I'm going to be meeting anyone in Vegas and forming a highly lucrative, multi-platinum songwriting partnership, but... uh, but it is crazy how people can sometimes just come into your life at the at the right time. And, uh, you know, that's how these songwriting partnerships are sometimes yeah. made. It's just that that you they happen to meet, they happen to click, and something happens that's just, you know, greater than the sum of its parts.
1: And then are those moments when you think you've created a partnership. You think you've found somebody who's going to stand with you through thick and thin, mm-hmm. and they don't show up for the Pooh Bear episode.
0: Yeah, I know that pain.
1: So, again, I would like to conclude this segment with an apology.
0: Paul, I accept your apology. All right.
1: It'll probably happen again. Yeah. Oh, I know. But I'm sorry.
0: So, Paul, you know that I spent time uh, pursuing songwriting pretty seriously. Had a publishing deal and was, you know, trying to make the whole songwriting thing happen before I decided that my life's calling was in a different type of writing. Right. And uh, and at that time, I think one of the things that hampered me was I kind of fell down the rabbit hole of like getting lost in pro tools Mm. and getting lost in like trying to make demos and stuff. And I remember one time I wrote this song with a guy and it was a really good song. And I went home and I spent a lot of time making a demo and there was a guy back then, uh, that was around Sunday named Rex and Rex create amazing demos. And so I played my demo for the guy that I wrote the song with and he goes, Scotty, this is what we have Rex for. (laughs) (laughs) And I kind of realized, you know, sometimes you gotta, you gotta know where your lane is, right? Like there are certain writers who can work pro tools like magic. It's like second nature. I mean, you're, you're good with pro tools and you know, you're a writer and I think you have that ability to make demos quickly and effortlessly. Not every writer has that. And I, I kind of had to come to the realization that, you know, my creative energy is better put into the songs, right. rather than trying to make the demos, and I have a feeling that there's probably a lot of people like that out there.
1: Yeah, and can you imagine how things would have gone if there had been a Pearl Snap available to you at the time? Oh man, you I know? could have
0: just handed it over to a guy like Justin, yeah, and said, "Dude, you know what to do with this."
1: Totally, and and that's what a place like that offers you because you know not everybody has the time, the inclination, or even the money to get pro tools, get all the gear that they need, buy the mics, you know, do the whole thing, and become basically a producer. Yeah. Um, Hey, guys, that's what we have Justin for. Yes. Um, he's already done all that work for you. He's bought the mics. He's got the gear. <laughs> yeah, He's got all the stuff. Um, you just write the song. Yeah. Um, In fact, you know what? I'm going to suggest to Justin that become the new slogan for Pearl Snap Studios. You just write the song.
0: You just write the song. We'll make the demo. So if you are listening to this and you've got a song that you want to get recorded, uh, you want to make a nice quality demo, check out Justin and his team at pearlsnapstudios.com. Doesn't matter where you live. You can send them a rough Work Tape, they will work with you to bring your vision to reality. And if you tell them that Songcraft sent you, you do get a little discount, which is nice. So be sure again to check out pearlsnapstudios.com and tell them that you're a friend of Songcraft.
1: You just write the song. (laughs) Hey, Songcraft listeners, just want to let you guys know about an event coming up. It's the fourth annual St. Augustine Songwriters Festival in St. Augustine, Florida. It's happening Friday, October 22nd through Sunday, October 24th. It's happening at three venues, and there's going to be a whole bunch of Nashville writers there playing their hits. You're going to get a chance to see Mark Beeson, who won ASCAP Country and Pop Song of the Year for When She Cries. He also wrote Billy Currington's number one single, We Are Tonight. And Mark Irwin, who wrote Alan Jackson's Here in the Real World, as well as number ones like Highway Don't Care for Tim McGraw and Blake Shelton's Neon Light.
0: There's going to be a whole lot of other performers and you can see the entire list at St. Augustine songwriters festival.com uh, There's going to be people like Bobby Penson who's written four number ones for Toby Keith four more number ones for Sugarland, and was named BMI songwriter of the year in 2009. Uh, James LeBlanc will be there who wrote modern day Bonnie and Clyde for Travis Tritt relentless for Jason Aldean and Gary Allen's learning how to bend uh, Justin Wilson who wrote drunk me by Mitchell Tenpenny and we went by Randy Hauser Tommy Cecil who wrote Jake Owen's was Jack, you were Diane, and Home Alone Tonight by Luke Bryan and Karen Fairchild. The list goes on and on. There's a whole bunch of uh, behind the scenes songwriters. There's some songwriter artists. There's pretty much, if you are interested in the Nashville songwriting world and you're interested in heading down to St. Augustine, Florida in October, this is something you are absolutely going to want to check out. So, again, go to St. Augustine Songwriters Festival.com and see if it's something that you might want to do. Part two. Song of the Year Grammy nominee Pooh Bear is perhaps best known for his collaborations with Justin Bieber, including the multi-platinum hits All That Matters, Where Are You Now, What Do You Mean, Company, Yummy, and Intentions, as well as Despacito Remix with Louis Fonsi and Daddy Yankee, and I Don't Care with Ed Sheeran. Other hits from the Pooh Bear songbook include Anywhere and Peaches and Cream by the R&B group 112, Caught Up by Usher, My Petition from Jill Scott's Grammy-winning Beautifully Human album, Chris Brown's I Can Transform Ya and She Ain't You, and Dan and Shay's 10,000 Hours. His catalog has registered sales of over 350 million records worldwide, dozens of multi-platinum certifications, and 100 billion streams and counting. He has collaborated with The Rolling Stones, Whitney Houston, Mariah Carey, Pink, Faith Evans, Dr. Dre, Lupe Fiasco, Drake, Snoop Dogg, Yo Gotti, Rick Ross, Skrillex, DJ Khaled, Mariah Carey, Billie Eilish, Steven Tyler, and many others. Not limited by any one genre, Pooh songwriting can be found on everything from J Balvin's Latin Grammy Award winning Energia to Zach Brown Band's number one country album The Owl. As an artist, he co founded the Rootsie project Bear and a Banjo, which released a self titled debut in 2020 that was produced by T Bone Burnett. Further stepping out from behind the scenes, Pooh Bear's most recent release is the single The Day You Left. Pooh Bear, welcome to Songcraft.
2: Happy birthday! Thank you.
0: You are are well known for greeting people with with happy birthday rather than uh, hello or hi. So uh, tell me a bit about where where that comes from. How did that start?
2: All right. So me, um, my greeting, um, happy birthday, um, it derived from I guess about twenty years ago. I used to just be really shy, and you know, for me, I wanted to practice being myself. So I started greeting people happy birthday because it made me feel. More comfortable to be myself and be strange, hoping that if you, you know, were different, that you would feel comfortable to be yourself immediately. So most people, when they introduce somebody or themselves, they're not really introducing themselves; they're introducing the person who they want you to think they are. So uh-huh. for me, I'm like, "Happy birthday!" So that way, you could be like, "It's not my birthday," and I'm like, "Yeah, it's your birthday every day you wake up," and then they know immediately I'm I'm a little crazy, I'm a little silly, and I'm crazy. So if you're crazy, <laughs> if you're silly. Immediately, you should just drop your guard and you could be yourself with me. And you don't have to be like this, suited up, like acting like this person when really that's not who you are. So it, it came, it evolved from that, and me, you know, just um making me feel comfortable, man. Be it, I practice being myself and me saying happy birthday and me saying what I feel allowed me to just um practice being me and in hopes, you know, I just wanted people to be comfortable with being themselves. And then it turned into. Every day should be your birthday when you wake up, you know, because some people don't wake up and you should just be blessed to just wake up and and treat it like it's your birthday every day.
0: Now, for somebody who has over the last 20 years really carved out a space as one of the most successful songwriters and producers in pop music, I understand that you actually weren't even allowed to listen to pop music when you were a kid. So tell me a bit about that and what kind of music you were soaking up in your earliest years.
2: Yeah. So, um, thank you for saying that man about, um, let me being um, a songwriter, um, that, um, accomplishments. Thank you very much. I take, I don't take that lightly. I just want to say that first. Um, so I think when I was a kid, my parents, my dad was a preacher. and My mom was really religious. So I just wasn't allowed to listen to what they called secular music, you know? And that meant, I mean it meant it meant Stevie Wonder. It meant, you know, it could have been like love songs about little animals. And they're like, no, if it's not talking about Jesus, we you can't listen to it. So I did. I grew up, I mean, as a kid, I used to listen to like trumpet music. Um, it was a, a, a Christian trumpeter by the name of Phil Drisco. I used to listen to him and I used to just listen to like praise and worship music. And then I would sneak at night and listen to I Just Called to Say I Love You by Stevie Wonder. Man, that's kind of what inspired me to want to be. Um, Even when I was eight, I didn't know I wanted to be a songwriter. I just knew I wanted to be a part of music that made people feel the way that Stevie Wonder's music was making me feel. So, Mm -hmm. you know, that came from me sneaking, you know, late at night, you know, listening to I Just Called to Say I Love You. And, you know, and and I actually, when I was younger, it made me mad. And then when I got older as a songwriter, I understand how that helped me so much to be original because I wasn't influenced by anybody. And, you know, you look at these songwriters and artists and a lot of them get lawsuits because their music, you know, you know, you go back even to this, you know, uh, Robin Thicke record, Blurred Lines, that really it didn't sound like the Marvin Gaye record. It just had a Marvin Gaye vibe. So, you, you know, for me, I was blessed to not really be influenced by those, by those records. So when you hear my songs, you don't say, oh, that sounds like anything because it, it, it came from nothing. It, I'm not, I wasn't influenced by anything. I had a small Stevie Wonder, I just caught to say like one song that just made me wanna be a songwriter, made me be in the music business. But you know, I ended up, it ended up something that I, I took negative in the beginning of my life. It ended up working out for me because now everything I write is original.
0: So yeah, yeah, yeah. With maybe uh, just a, a, a few tiny uh, unconscious shades of Phil Driscoll in there somewhere. Uh, correct. Because, <laughs> because
2: I ended up playing trumpet, of course. I ended up playing trumpet for like, what, from the sixth grade to like the 11th grade, I played trumpet. And understanding that the trumpet is the top line. It's the main melody of the song. So once again, not realizing that it was training me to be a songwriter, listening to that trumpet music and then playing trumpet, it was preparing me to be a top liner to write lyric and melody because that's what the trumpet that's the only thing the trumpet played was the was the lead yeah. so yeah. it was yeah. cool it ended up working out for me
0: well the the first real splash that I'm aware of uh, for you in terms of being a writer came um, with the 1999 song Anywhere uh, multi-platinum R&B powerhouse 112 put that song out um, top 5 R&B hit top 15 pop hit hey,
2: hey, I wanna hear
0: My understanding is that you were still a teenager when you wrote that song and you know listening to that song That is, uh, that is secular music for sure. I mean, (laughs) you you learned, you, you learned, you learned quick. It's very like adult themed, you know, so talk a little bit about how you got that opportunity and how you were able at so young, when you were coming out of this environment where you weren't really exposed to adult themed music at all to suddenly be like really good at it.
2: Yeah. Well, um, coming out of, you know, just moving to Atlanta, you know, at such a young age, um, the music industry was it was bubbling in Atlanta and my cousin Bear Courtney Bear Seals discovered a group called you know 112 which their original name was Forte discovered them and Jagged Edge at one talent show Tri-Cities High School and he they went on and Jagged Edge went on with Jermaine pre um, Bear took 112 to Puff Daddy with Bad Boy and then after they had their first successful hit 112 my cousin was like, "Hey, you know, you can make songs, you can make money writing songs" cuz he knew that I I was writing songs. And I was like, "Really?" He was like, "Yeah, I'll put you with the guys and if they, you know, if you guys work well with each other, maybe they'll keep working with you." So, he put me with 112. I was I was 16, going on 17, and then wow. I ended up writing, co-writing anywhere with Duran and Q and also a record for Pink on her first album. Um um that uh what was the name of that first album? I Can't take me home. Can't take me home. Great memory. Yeah. So that that we I ended up working on it as well. Now the song I, when I co-wrote the records, it had to be about to be nineteen ninety. It was like the end of ninety seven because I was still in high school. I think it became, a, it was successful and it got bigger. It got big in 99, but it came out in 98, if I'm not mistaken. And then yeah. the song, and I co-wrote it with Ryan Q in 97, which I was 17 years old. I was in the 11th <laughs> grade. And, um, it was, it was different, you know, cause I had my teachers telling me I needed to do, you know, pay attention in school or I wasn't going to be make it in the industry. And I had a song on the radio and, you know, I never bragged about it, but, I. I just thought it was interesting because they're like, yeah. you're not that one percent. You need to pay attention and do your homework because only one percent make it, and you're not that one percent. And I was like, cool. I was like, but if you turn on radio right now, <laughs> you're definitely gonna hear my song playing every hour on the hour for the next, yeah. you know, four weeks. So, um, yeah, that was it was interesting. And you know, thank God for my cousin for Bear discovering 112. You know, because you know it is you know that theory of it's not you know what you know is definitely who you know and. Um, on top of who you know you definitely have to be prepared you know when opportunity meets preparation but you know if you never know anybody to know that you exist or your music exists it doesn't matter it's just you know so it's definitely you know I'm grateful for my cousin you know giving me that opportunity to work with 112 and then that turned into you know Peaches and Cream and Dance With Me and you know a slew of records with 112 so that was, that yeah. was how I got my and and with the and I think that just to answer the part of it being more adult being that I was you know, I was listening to, to, um, you know, to music Christian music as a kid, I just felt like you know, once I moved to Atlanta and my parents divorced. I grew up fast. In Atlanta, everybody, all the kids, they were like all the kids were adults, they were fast. So as far as writing like adult, you know, um, racy lyrics. You know, in, in high school, it, the kids were really fast, man. So I grew up, I grew up fast in Atlanta and I think a lot more, a lot faster than Connecticut. Um, yeah. So I was more, I was opened up to a lot more and I was able to see a lot more than um, the average teenager. So I was able to, you know, to be able to experience a lot of things that i um at a younger age that I think, you know, are not normal, but I was able to apply those things in, into my music and stuff. Hmm.
0: yeah yeah, that's really interesting what you say about the idea of it's it's who you know mm-hmm. but it's also you got to have the goods when you get in the door yeah, you know yeah. if, if you can have the greatest uh hookups in the world you can have all the the right network of people but if you don't have the the goods you're not going to get invited into those rooms anymore and i think a lot of songwriters you know fall into they, they sort of err on either side they might be a great songwriter but they're like a hermit they're not networking they're not right. getting to know anybody yeah or you know they're putting all their emphasis and trying to network and they just don't have the the chops you know and and it really is both and it is
2: it is so it's a when preparation meets opportunity and um just being able and and on top of that which people don't understand is you got to be likable like you could be the most amazing, talented person ever, but you, but people just don't like you, and you just don't get, and people don't get along with you. So it's like, you know, going into a studio with an artist, they would never really un- like get a chance to get that person's full potential because they don't like them, you know. So it's yeah. like in talking to them, the energy, the frequencies, the energy has to be something that people could resonate with. So it's all those different factors that play, you know, a main yeah. key. And you know? um, it's tough. It's really tough. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, after all that success with, with 112 and then the, the pink thing that came out of that, you continued to have success writing for other artists. Um, but I would say the next real uh, milestone came with uh, Usher's Confessions album in which he wrote uh, a, a few songs, including the hit single, Caught Up. And, you know, that that album was just so huge. And that was a, a big record. Talk a bit about your path. You know, you had had success. Yeah. That sort of brings you to a, a next level. level of success. Talk about your um, development during those early years. That and, and how you feel you were really able to take it to the to the next rung of the ladder, so to speak.
2: Yeah. So, I, um, just you know, writing songs. You know, as a songwriter, you you always get the opportunity. You know to to present songs or to create songs and send them out. You know, back in the 90s, it was like, you write a song and you submit it and you hope that the artist actually hears it or you hope A&R hears it and they like pass it to the artist. So I have been writing songs for Usher probably for five years that I know never made it to him. And um, it it took for me ultimately to go to Philadelphia with producers Dre and Vidal and, um, and worked with another writer Named Ryan Toby from City High. And we, you know, we were just making songs. So it was like for once we're I was just creating. And before, I used to, I would try to write songs for Usher. Like, hmm, I think this is what Usher wants to say. So what I learned was that, you know, most artists when they are looking for music, they're not looking for what they sound like already, because they already did that already. So once me and Ryan were able to, you know, we were just writing songs and um, we weren't writing them for anybody. We just wanted to make songs that we loved. And from that, Superstar came out, came about, and that was the first record that L.A. Reid heard um, at the time from uh, I want to say Arista is with the, with the label, the face that I think it had already switched to Arista and um, he made us go in the studio with Usher first because I know Usher was supposed to go in with Jermaine Dupri first. Um, and then we ended up going with Usher first and we cut like, five records and out of those five records, three of them made the album. But the craziest part is it's like it was a two year duration. So it was like the song caught up. That was about Chili when he was still in a relationship with her. You know, um, Come Follow Me was about Chili. Superstar was about Chili. So the, the craziest part was knowing that once they broke up, I was like, oh man, he's not gonna use our songs now because they're not even together anymore. But two years later, you know, our records still made the album. And then we ended up having the last single, which was even more crazy because it was like the fifth single off the album. So now you're talking about three years from the time we went in with Usher to the time our song hit the radio, which is unheard of. You know, just mean that the music, it just survived and it was timeless. (laughs) definitely feel like that brought me you know that record it it brought us it brought me to another level it um it allowed me to realize that you know I needed to stop trying to write songs for people and just write songs you know (laughs) because it's it's so easy to be like oh I think and then you end up mimicking what they what they sounded like prior and that's not what they want to sound like for the next project so that was I think it was a real lesson for me to really start just um honing in on writing songs that I love and stop trying to write songs for artists.
0: Yeah. 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 You know, and I listened to a song like caught up um, and it's dancey, it's upbeat, it's feel good, you know? Um, And then I listened to a song like my petition from Jill Scott's beautifully human record. And you know, another one that, that you were involved with. And that song is, it's really chill. It's got acoustic guitar. It's got the retro kind of electric piano. Yeah. It's very laid back. And oh,
1: how do I trust you? How do I love you when you lie to me?
0: You You know, I would listen to two songs like that. And I could say this about a lot of your catalog is, you know, there's a there's a breadth to it. There's, um, you know, it's not like, oh, there he is doing that thing that he does again. It's 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 very much like a wide palette.
2: It should be new, man. That's the hardest part.
0: Yeah, I was just wanted to get your thoughts on on kind of how you um, keep going to that well, you know, how yeah. you get those fresh ideas and those new things and, and tr- avoid the trap that you know I think a lot of writers fall into if they just kind of keep coming back to doing that thing they do right. uh, versus trying to keep it fresh and and, and always, looking for new ground and, and, and new ways to express themselves.
2: Yeah. So I think a way to, um, a way that I I keep my, my music fresh and I keep it separate because I've written so many songs. I I try to write a minimum of 600 songs a year. I like, I'm, I'm in a constant state of, first of all, most writers aren't brutally honest with themselves. Most art, most writers and artists think that they are the shit. They think that, like they think it's, they just think, they believe in themselves so much. They feel like anything they do is amazing. I'm coming from a place of insecurity from, from building self-esteem on top of having massive hit records and selling, you know, over 500 million records. I'm still honest with myself too. If I write something, I'm like, if I don't love it, if I don't blow myself away, it's not good. Like for me, it's like, I'm my worst, I'm my toughest critic. I'm never like feeling like anything I write is gonna be a smash. I don't feel like that. Mm. Every time I approach a new song and a new record, I know subliminally I've got, you know, who knows 15, 20,000 records in my catalog. You know I mean, I am You know, that I've written some of, most of them are in the music abyss that nobody will ever hear. But I know like the songs that came out, the records that are out on albums, I know when I'm writing something, I have, to, I have to make it to where people don't know that it's me. And that's the only way I'm able to still write songs 25, I'm 26 years in right now. If I was still making music that's writing songs that had melodies from, you know, 112 days or even the Usher days or Chris Brown days, or you know what I mean, I've gone through eras of music, then I will fall off because people, we already gave it. I already gave them that already. So it's like, my thing is like being brutally honest with myself and saying, wait a minute, yeah. I said that already. Or that melody sounds like that. And it's crazy because most writers, like you said, that's what they do. Like they get their hit melody and they just keep going to it. Right. <laughs> right. For me, I'm right. like, it's embarrassing. Cause it's like, nah, I use that already. I'm not, I can't, I can't reach into my heart or my mind and pull out a new melody or, or say something else. Or even if I said something, I should be able to say it in a different way. Even if it's the same meaning, I'm not clever enough where I can't rephrase that and, and and make it mean the same thing, but it's new words. So for me, I'm constantly pushing myself. I'm constantly, I, I don't feel like I'm good enough. I feel like I have points to prove. Um, I don't think everything I write is amazing. And I think all those things allow me to continue to push music forward and it allows me to never, for nobody to be able to listen to my catalog and say, if you don't know, I don't have a tagline. I don't have when you first hear I don't say happy birthday on my songs, you know what I mean? So if you don't know, you would never know that I wrote the amount of Jamaican hits that I've writ- written. You know, I would never know. So my thing is, I love the fact that nobody can, can say, oh, this sounds like this, or this sounds like Pooh Bear definitely did that and that because it leaves everybody constantly like accepting new music. And therefore people can't get tired of me. They can't get tired of a tag that, that they don't hear. So they, you know what I mean? They can't get tired of a sound that I'm constantly evolving. So yeah, it just, I never settle, man. And I don't believe that everything I do is amazing. I don't believe I'm, I don't believe my own shit. And I'm still, I'm still like excited when people tell me they like my music. I'm, I'm yeah. still surprised. It's not like, <laughs> yeah, of course you, you know what I mean? I'm still like, wow, really? Because I wanna be that fresh. I wanna be make sure that whatever I do next you know, is genuinely loved and not based on what I've done in the past, but no, it's just resonates with people. So it allows yeah, me yeah, to, to keep cool. pushing my music forward and nothing sounds the same.
0: Well, in the, in the years following that success um, with Usher, you had songs with Brooke Hogan, Khalees, Danity Kane, Ruben Stutter, Daddy Yankee, Kelly Rowland, Ludacris, Common, um, and then a couple of uh, Chris Brown hits, I Can Transform You" and She Ain't You. Um, and, you know, when you look at an artist like Chris Brown, uh-huh. and this comes from a guy who, you know, I'm always the person who wants to look at the Wikipedia page or read the liner notes. You know, I, I want to know who's involved, you know, I'm, and, and and you look at an artist like Chris Brown, there's always like a ton of writers on a, on a Chris Brown album. Right. Yeah. And I think people maybe in the general public don't understand the way that pop songwriting has transformed. You even talked about with 112 that, you know, somebody says, hey, you should get in a room with these guys. And I think that people might not understand that it's quite possible to have collaborated on multiple songs with someone and never even met them. Yeah. Um, so talk a bit about how that pop songwriting world has changed in terms of what collaboration means.
2: Um. Just for an example, man, like Justin sent me an idea, you know, from Dan and Shay um which ended up being ten thousand hours and you know he's just like hey can you you know can you make this to where you love it you know could you what would you do to it and i went in and i i changed some things i wrote rewrote some new things and but i never met those guys so it's like just to your point it's like things are like because of and even before the pandemic everybody's so like the technology we're at a place now where I can do this with you. And if we wanted to, you could pick up one of those guitars behind you. You can start strumming it. And I can start writing right now while we're on, you know, the Zoom call. So everything's just changed. And back in the day, it was like, you know, you would have to be in a room with an artist. And now you can actually, like, I can come up with an idea, send it to the artist or send it to the label. They love, you know, 80% of it. And they might be like, hey, do you mind if we let such and such work on this part? And they're like, you know what? No, I don't mind. And, you know, from there, now you just included somebody else that I never even met or I don't know. And then from there, you know, it'll go to, well, the music, do you think we can have, you know, such and such, you know, play the music or do the drums over on this or so, you you know, you'll end up with with one song with one person that might end up turning into a record with four or five people on it. And it can happen really quick, really quickly. So, you know, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, it's, 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 there, there aren't any rules anymore. And before it was like, it was just standards and it was like programming. And it was like, you got to stack. When you do a hook, you got to stack it. You know what I'm saying? It's like right. nobody ever was like, nobody, you know what I mean? Nobody was like, you don't have to stack it. It could be a massive hit without it being stacked. But it was all these programs that we were used to. So I just think now in the last, I would say in the last like five years, we've, you know, gotten to a place where, you know, you don't have to be in a room um and you know a record could be done and somebody says hey i want to change this line or i want to do that so everything you know the whole mentality of it of creating has evolved and i think it's at a place now where people just want to have hit records you know and, and and for so long it was it's of course it's ego driven but right now because because like you look at the credits and you see you know you look at um the record with uh travis scott and um and Drake, you know they had um sicko mode. You look at sicko mode; it had thirty five songwriters and producers. <laughs> so I think we're at an era now where it's like people don't really care anymore. They just want to be a part of a hit song, you know. And yeah, it, um, I think it's just like everything in life. There's pros and cons to it. You know, there's negatives and positives. But um, I think ultimately the goal is to really just put out a hit record and. There is no real, you know, it used to be a format, a formula to get to that, and now it's like, however we get to it, let's go. <laughs> so yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Well, you mentioned uh, Justin Bieber a couple times, and and Justin certainly looms large in in your career. Um, you wrote and/or produced uh, about half of. Uh, his journals album which was really kind of a collection of of singles um that he put out um including the uh platinum single all that matters um which kind of incorporates this cool guitar classic you know r&b feel
1: Where about nobody else? If ain't you I'm in myself, you make me complete. You're all that matters to me. Yeah, yeah.
0: what's a king bear without a queen. And you, you kind of see in that era is when Justin was kind of transitioning from more of the like teen-oriented artist to more of a of a serious artist. Talk about how you and Justin first uh, started working together and what it was that you brought to the table that really helped the whole thing click in the right way.
2: Um, I met Justin when he was 17 and he was literally um, he just came to Las Vegas to hang out with with twist for his birthday and um, ultimately he ended up hearing some of my music. And, you know, I remember, you know, Twist saying, like, you know, Pooh Bear, if Justin hears your music, you're going to end up doing his project. And I'm like, he doesn't need me. He's a superstar. And no, I'm like, you know what? It'd be cool to do one song with Justin. And that'd be great. You know, and then he heard my music and he was like, I know, I remember Justin reached out to me. and He was like, hey, can you flip this record? Remember the, the, the Craig David record, Fill Me In? You know, that record with the guitar. So he was like, can you flip that record and write a new song over it? And I was like, definitely. So I did it in like 30 minutes. So I don't don't think he was expecting me to do it in 30 minutes. I sent it back to him. He was just like, "Uh, can you fly to Boston today? I was like, I can. And I flew to Boston and we cut, recovered. We cut the record. That was the first record that we cut. And then from there, he just kept me on tour. You know, he kidnapped me. It was like 13 months, you know. Like um, just over a year and I did it was 16 it was 15 I did 11 out of the 15 11 songs out of 15 and for me that was like we were just we were you know on his tour so we were in Bali we were in Bangkok we were in we we recorded journals like all around the world Um, and just during that time man He was, you know, vocally, man, he was just growing so much. Every time we cut records, he was doing new things with his voice that he never did before. And it was pushing. I was pushing him, pushing him. And um, he was rising to the occasion. And I I think ultimately, you know, it I I think nobody else really ever challenged him vocally, you know, and it, it allowed him to just get out of a comfort zone. And it forced him to grow. And from there, you know, journals wasn't at that time, wasn't successful at that time. Um, And I kind of felt like I'm like, man, I got a chance to work with the biggest pop star in the world. And of course, the first thing he says to me was, I don't want to sing pop. (laughs) 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 So I'm like, great. I could finally I finally get to work with the biggest pop star and he only wants to sing R&B. So that's where that's how journals sounded like journals. And then um, and then after that project, in my heart, I felt like he was just going to move on because that's what artists do. Like, no matter how big you are or big the success you have, the artist always just goes on to the next writer, next producer for the next project. So I was in my heart. I was, I had already you know, I never get connected. I never get attached to anybody because I know how to, I know the scenario. It happened with everybody that I work with. And Justin was like, no, I'm going to work with you forever. And I was like, can't just say stuff like that because, you know, I don't really believe you. And (laughs) ultimately, I remember coming up with Where Are You Now? and sending it to him. And I played it for him in Colorado. We went to David Chappelle's birthday party, um, a comedy thing. And I played it. He was like, I want to cut this now. And we cut it in New York. And I just remember, you know, it was just trying times because his team kind of started feeling threatened by me because me and him were spending so much time together. And, um, so they were kind of like against me, you know? Hmm. And, and I was like, man, I just writers want to write songs. Like, I don't understand. Like, I'm not trying to manage him. I'm not trying to, I don't understand why they felt threatened. And, um, Ultimately, you know, I had to do something that was called the Trojan horse theory. Where are you now? I told Justin, I said, listen, you tell your team that you wrote this song. Don't tell them I wrote it because I wanted it was an experiment. This was my experiment with with Justin. Right. Because I see that they intentionally sabotage journals. I I saw that. Hmm. So they're just going to anything I write. They're just going to sabotage it until he doesn't want to work with me anymore. I get it because they end up like, if nothing's wow. working. Cooper. But so I was like, let's try this. Tell him you, tell him you wrote the record. So he told him he wrote it. They sent it to, um, to Skrillex. Skrillex worked on it. And um, I remember when it finally it came out, I just remember me telling his team, like, hey, how's that Where Are You Now record going? They were like, it's his biggest record. It's his comeback record. And I was like, cool. I was like, and then, and they were like, but you didn't write that one, right? I was like, I did. (laughs) But I wanted to wait until it was a hit, you know what I'm saying? And then I came out, unfortunately, I had to do that. You know, it's sad that I had to do that, but you know, it was too late at that point and it was a hit already, so they couldn't sabotage it. And it was like, all right, Pooh Bear, you just wrote Justin Bieber's comeback record. I was by your side. So where are you
1: now that I need you?
0: Where are you now that nature
2: But I was like, thank God I had to Trojan horse that song into it, that situation. And then I was able to work on purpose, you know. What do you mean? And all those other records. So, but it was like where Are you now was the the sneaky record that I had the Trojan horse in order to to get to those other songs.
0: Well, and you know that was such a big hit. It was five time platinum single, and What Do You Mean was even bigger, seven time platinum number one yeah. hit. Um, talk a little bit about uh, What Do You Mean and how you guys put that song together
2: man, what do you mean? It was strange because I had already written about a hundred, 110 songs at that time for a purpose for that project. And Justin was like, can you write me another song? And I was just like, and I was kind of frustrated because I had written so many and we had recorded so many. And I was just like, he wants another song. So he booked me a studio at Record Plant. I go in and I start going through music and going through chords and just going through music. And um, I, about 30, 30 concept, thirty ideas, thirty musical ideas. And that I'm listening to, I hear these these flute, these flute music, and it's like it's, it's like this EDM tropical thing. And at that time, I remember the song that it brought, it made me feel like was cheerleader. The music by Romy, or I forget his name. Mommy, Hami, I forget, but the song was Cheerleader. So it made me, I remember, I loved that record Cheerleader. So when I heard the music on, you know, What Do You Mean? It made me feel like that. And it made me want to, you know, dive into it. But I wrote it from such a frustrated place. I wrote it in like 25 minutes. And it was because I was just like, I'm just going to get this over with because I don't want to waste the studio time. I know I'm sensitive. I'm like, man, I know how much it costs. so I'm just going to write something and send it and I didn't I didn't believe in it I just wrote it and I sent it and then Justin was like this is a smash he's like this is a wave and then Scooter hit me he was like that's Justin Bieber's first single I was like no he was like yes I was like no we have so many other songs to choose from he was like no Pooh Bear I'm telling you I got that feeling in my stomach that's his first single I'm like and in my mind I'm like but I wrote it so, like, I wrote it not believing in what I was doing. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and um, right. that's how that record came about. And then, you know, he ended up, he cut it. And then it came, out, I want to say it came out, like, 45, 40 days later. It was like, it wasn't the fastest turnaround I've ever been a part of. But it was like a, you know, I wrote it. And then I think it was coming out August 28th of 2015, August 28th. And I wrote it in, like july i want to say like wow. july the end of july i wrote it it came out maybe like 35 days later it was pretty cool what do you mean And, um, yeah, but that was, that was kind of like, that was the story on that record. It wasn't, you know, I didn't really, even, I didn't think it's, I didn't think that was a good song. I, I didn't think it was a good song. <laughs> That's when I was like, all right, I don't really know. All I know is what my form, I just got to stick to my formula cause I don't know anymore. Cause I swear I would have never thought that record would have been a hit. So. Huh.
0: Wow. Wow. Um, well, in 2017 alone, You had releases on Big Sean, Pitbull, Trey Songs, DJ Khaled, Whale, Ty Dolla Sign, Fifth Harmony, Sam Smith, David Guetta, the list goes on and on. Uh, A little song that some folks might have heard of called Despacito also came out uh, that year. I I hear that one did did okay. It did okay. Um, (laughs) But you, in the wake of of that... Mm Released your first full length debut album, Pooh Bear Presents Birthday Music. Yeah. or Birthday Music. Yeah, birthday music. Um, yeah, Featuring the single Hard to Face Reality. Sometimes it's hard to face reality. Oh,
2: oh. Even though you might get mad at me. Oh, oh. Sometimes it's hard to face reality. should it to my life opportunity to stay away for the last time right
0: in front of me to know that I mean this is now almost 20 years exactly from the time that you were the kid who got the the first shot to get in a room with some guys and see if you could come up with something and, and that launched your career 20 years later you 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 put out a record. Why did you feel like, okay now is the time for me to step out of uh, the shadows when, you know, everything was just blowing up for you at that time? What made you say, okay now is the point where I need to to do something that's my voice. You know, I'm I'm the artist and the writer producer.
2: Well, just it wasn't I always was recording. I always recorded songs. I always released projects, you know, from like Beast to break up to Beast to make love to. I was always always put out music just for fun, and then with this project, it was like I had all these records with Justin, with all my friend, all my superstar friends, and like these songs are great. I was like, I want to figure out a way to put these records out as long as it doesn't interfere in their project or you know step on anybody's toes. I just wanted to put out music that I had laying around, and um, it wasn't really for say like it's time for the world to hear me because if you listen to the album, I'm only singing on like four songs, maybe out of 16, maybe, maybe five, but it was more so like, I just felt like, and, and I know, I know, I know Justin, he really wanted, you know, Justin wanted me to come out as an artist and I never really, I was just like, nah, I'm cool. So at 2017, when all that stuff was happening, I was like, well, this is the perfect time for me to put out an album where I'm not really the focus and, it's just more so a vehicle for new music, to put out music for all these artists while they're in between their own albums. And just for me, you know, just to have something else out for the, my little fan base that I do have, I got like 1.2 million monthly listeners or something like that. So I was just trying to like, you know, put out, you know, music for that as well as, um, and not really focused on me though. So I can't say that I took that time to be like, all right, it's my turn to shine. I just I just looked at it as an opportunity to put out music that I was laying around that I could call the music abyss and just get it out there. And um and then, you know, the first song, you know, being put Justin Bieber and then Jay Electronica got on it. It was it was cool, man. It was never something I felt like, this is it. I'm about to, you know, I'm about to be a big artist. I never looked at it like that. I really literally just wanted to put out music. So
0: Yeah. 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 Well, it's interesting, you know, you've got your, your artist thing, you know, like you say, that that isn't your primary focus, but you just wanted to get that stuff out into the world. Yep. You, you know, are working with Justin all the time. Mm-hmm. Well, what's really interesting is that Justin, in turn, he appears on a lot of other people's records, right? Yeah. So you're already working with one guy who y- you kind of know how he thinks. You guys are able to... Collaborate, you obviously have this like working relationship, Mm -hmm. but then that relationship gets dropped into, you know, situations where, you know, now you're writing songs with Ed Sheeran or, or Billie Eilish because Justin is involved with that. So you have kind of this relationship with an artist that is defined, but then that's getting dropped into all these different scenarios. So you have to kind of be adaptable to, you know, all these other artists and how those are fitting in. How do you, um, you know, with the track record of success that you have, how are you able to kind of keep yourself open and flexible to say like, well, I'm going to listen to some of these other ideas or try to get into the vibe of this or that artist versus, you know, just kind of, uh, Oh, I'm, no, I'm just going to come in and, and be Pooh Bear. I mean, you can't, you can't do that. You have to be able to, to, to be flexible and music is always changing and evolving and tastes are, are, are growing. So, you know, I'd love to hear a bit about how you, um, view, Almost sharing that that writing relationship that you have with Justin for projects outside Justin's own records.
2: Yeah, so that that's like such a blessing that just like I said, Justin told me he was gonna work with me forever, and you know, it's just you know I don't believe in stuff like that because I don't want to get my feelings hurt, and he just proved me wrong over the years. um, And like just having those opportunities where other artists would need records, or he would get asked to do remixes or any features. And then they, you know, Justin would hit me to like, hey, I need you to do a verse for this. I need you to do this. And it was never really so me having to edit myself to um, or research these other artists. Thank, Thank God. Like, I always just had to be myself because whenever I was writing any feature, it was for Justin. So... It was never like I had to really, and they all were looking for Justin Bieber to sound like Justin. So in huh. doing these features, I was able to just be myself and just write. And um, I didn't really have to research or study Ed or, or study Billy or because they really just wanted Justin. You know, they weren't they didn't want me to to come and write anything for them per se. It was like this was me doing Justin Bieber's feature. Hmm on their record so i thank god all i had to do was just be myself and just create and make something that i love and that i was brutally honest about and um it translated because i wasn't having to write for that actually art for the actual artist um but when i when i do work with artists definitely you know it's a matter of me you know getting in and um me um me me getting in and, and learning and having conversations but with those scenarios they really just wanted to have a Bieber feature and that Bieber feature was just me just writing and being myself. And, you know, it wasn't that yeah. that difficult, man. It was a lot of, that's why I still feel like I have a lot to prove because, you know, even my biggest hit to date, Despacito remix, is, is just the verse and the pre, you know me, I mean? I didn't get a chance to really write a lot. So, granted, it's huge. We sold, you know, 70, 70 something million singles. Um blessed to be a part of it, but I still feel like I have so much to prove in the Latin community, you know, just because yeah. I want to have hits that I've wrote the entire record. And uh, so I, I, no matter what, I'm grateful for it, but I can't wait for you to hear my new Maluma music that's coming out. I can't wait for you to hear my new Jesse and Joy music. A lot of new stuff's coming out. Um, and it, it, it allowed me, you know, in this part of my career to... To be able to give more than just a verse or just my you know that that thing that those artists were looking for to have a feature actually the whole song
0: yeah you know you mentioned dan and shay earlier when we were talking about the sometimes you write and you don't even even meet the the other writers but you know that that was a big country hit um and you you co-wrote um i think four songs on the zach brown band's album the l um you know, and not only that, but you are part of a duo called Bear and a Banjo that, uh, is produced by T-Bone Burnett. Yes. And to me, sounds like, you know, the Black Keys meet country music.
2: Like a Four years from the board, looking back at the future. In a hurry, no, we go going nowhere.
0: So, you know, I'd be curious where that kind of uh, where that country strain comes from.
2: I just always had a love for, you know, um, Americana for um, like, I mean, I remember being a teenager once I did get a chance. Once my parents split up and I was able to listen to music in Atlanta, you know, listening to country, um, just certain country records that I really didn't even know the names of the artists. It was just such great songwriting. Um, um, that, and it wasn't even just country, because it was more like Oasis, Third Eye Blind. It was like this, it was just an alternative sound other than what I came up listening, you know, when I was younger, it was R&B, it was hip hop. So it, in the back of my mind, I always had this love for, you know, alternative music. And so when I got older, when I met Jingle Jared, you know, it was like me, like we, we worked on the Roots, original music for the Roots series, a, re, a reboot. And I was like, yo, let's just make a fake band called Baron of Banjo. And then because the music we were doing was like this grassroots Americana, you know, alternative. And I'm like, well, let's just make a band, a fake band. And that's when we just started doing the song every Saturday. And then T-Bone Burnett heard what we were doing. And he was like, yo, this is really good. And that's when he came in and brought, you know, brought in the musicians and, um he brought in Bob Dylan, man. He brought in the record I did with Bob Dylan and it was one thing led to another, but um, it all, you know, stemmed from me having love for just alternative music and and it being frowned upon. You know, with like singing R&B and writing R&B hit records, it's kind of frowned upon when you, you know, you try to step outside of, you know, your, your, um, your normal, what people are, are expecting you to do. And so it was just like my alter ego. It just feels refreshing to do Baron a banjo and do it for fun and not have any obligations or like, you know, it was just like, nah, let's just record for fun. And then, you know, to get T Bone, have T Bone come involved, get involved, and then have Bob Dylan. It was just like, wow. You know, but it was um, it was literally just a fake band idea. I just came up with an idea to do a fake band. <laughs> wow.
0: Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. Um, well this year um you released uh what might be your your most personal uh solo song to date um the day you left uh co-produced by skrillex and and i think based on a, a poem if i'm not mistaken tell tell me a bit about that song
2: um yeah the day you left initially you know this song was really it was a poem and it was the original poem was written by nabil zayed um a partner of my good friend and, you know, over this pandemic, I got more into, you know, collabing and doing, you know, taking poems and putting melodies to them and making songs out of them just because I'm just in a constant state of growth, man. I just want to evolve. I just want my songs to be get better. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to work with this, this word stress. And, um, you know, that was a poem, The Day You Left. And then I ended up just making a chorus, making a hook. And, and just kind of like making the verses and turning it into a song. But initially it wasn't about my mom, it was about you know a past relationship of a loved one, um, like a relationship that went wrong. And then it for me, once my mom passed away on January 7th, listening to the song and listening to the music, I was like, whoa, it just gave the whole, it, it just shows you how songs could just mean something totally different depending on what you're going through. And it, just, yeah. it took a whole new meaning on. It's was like the day you left is like, it's like, it's, it's bittersweet because I know my mom was, she wasn't comfortable here. She wasn't, she was in pain, but, and you know, so it was like selfish of me to want to keep her here. And then she was happy leaving. So it was like this, it's like sunshine and the rain, you know, it was like this, you know, and I felt like the words, the day you left, it, it resonated so much with that, where my mom's transitioning. I decided to go ahead and dedicate the song to my mom and, and make the video, you know, more, you know, with geared to, to follow that feeling and made it less of a relationship thing. The day you left.
0: your career you know it's it's been varied you've had the opportunity to do uh, a lot of things you've you've worked in a lot of different genres Um, you've worked with a lot of different artists what's something that's always been on your wish list as a songwriter that you still want to do that you haven't had an opportunity to pursue yet
2: I want to do the theme song to the world cup I want to work I want to do at least one record with Celine Dion I don't care if she's like 95 by the time that she decides to work with me. I don't care. Um, what else? I want to, I must score a movie, you know, um, original score um, and new artists like my, own, you know, of course, I'm going to continue to put out music, but I want to put out new artists and um, with new music and, and be a part of those frequencies. And um, it's a blessing to be able to work with, with hit stars. I feel like, you know, to be able to add on to add into, you know, the universe and put into new frequencies with new artists. I just feels like it would be it would be a groundbreaking and an amazing thing for me to be a part of that. So it's, you know, those are my my new my latest goals are, you know, not just having hit records with hit artists, but you know, creating hit records for new artists, you know that yeah. who are the next, you know, who are the next big artists? So I want to be a part of that. And um at the same time Still, man, help people, man. Help, you know, do my tour drives. You know, continue to do my tour drives bigger and bigger every year. Um, and that's pretty much it. You know, I, I, You know, I, I have these goals and I wanna grow. I would love to be able to one day, hopefully have something to do with the Grammys changing the rules so that, you know, they have a songwriter of the year. Um, and they th- they acknowledge songwriters more than they do, because right now they don't have any respect for songwriting. so those are a few things I would love to do to be a part of. And um, um, I probably won't give up until I've done them. And um, yeah. I, have so, I feel like I have so much to prove, no matter what I've done in my past. I just feel like, you know, still a lot of people don't believe in me. Um, and I just feel like I have a lot to prove and I wanna, I wanna continue to, to have um, records that connect with, with people in every in every race you know japanese and russian and and latin and you know i want to be i want to go down as a songwriter producer um that was able to have a hit in every language in every every genre so i don't think it's been done yet so that's what I'm, I'm on my every year i create new goals like man i need a country hit i need a country smack you know what i mean like in 2015 i was like i want to latin i want to get into the Latin. i want to get into the latin world i went with j bauman in colombia and you know, ended up you know working on this the Despacito record. So, I, I I put everything out in the universe, and I just work hard at it to try to to try to make it manifest.
0: Very cool. Well, Pooh Bear, thank you so much for spending some time with us and sharing a little insight into your your process and your career. And I want to encourage uh, the listeners to go check out The Day You Left. Very cool song with a great video. Um, there's obviously a lot to, to dig into with, with your career. So uh, just appreciate you uh, spending a little time with us.
2: Thank you so much for having me. Happy birthday. Thanks for listening. We'd
1: love to stay connected with you, so please take a moment to subscribe to Songcraft via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or
0: your podcast app of choice. If you like the show, we ask you to consider rating us and leaving us a good review. Word of mouth is important, and letting other potential listeners know what you think of the show helps us tremendously. You can also sign up for our email
1: list at songcraftshow.com. And find out how to help support us at patreon.com slash
0: songcraftshow. And you can follow us on social media by searching for Songcraft Conversations on Instagram and Songcraft Show on Facebook and Twitter. And finally,
1: be sure to check out our friends at the American Songwriter Podcast Network at americansongwriter.com. Thanks, as always, for listening and for your support.